0: This is part one of Daniel chapter nine, and we'll, again, we'll get through most of it. We'll say the last four verses, really maybe the most important uh, section of scripture in the Old Testament, New Testament, I don't know, uh, an incredible portion that we'll save for next week, And uh, but we titled the message today, How Do We Get Through to God? And even as I was writing this message today, I thought maybe the title should be, How Does God Get Through to Us? Like, right? He is forever trying to get through to us, as we'll see as he deals with the people of Israel. But we've titled the message today, How Do We Get Through to God? And so we'll be in Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 and following, saving again those last four verses. And so, Lord, as we open up the word today, God, we just invite you to speak to us. We humble ourselves before you, Lord God, and we say, we declare to you, God, we need you to speak to us. And um, as you do, Lord God, I pray for insights and clarity, so that when we do reach out to you, God, it's an effective thing. Um, There's a process. Uh, Shannon touched on it. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, then supplication, Lord. So there's a process um, by which we must reach out to you, Lord God. And when we do, Lord God, we will get through We'll get through to you, and and more importantly, God, you'll get through to us. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be a people who hunger and thirst for you, for connection with you, interaction with you, Lord God, that we would take it serious and be uh, focused on it, Lord God, and allow you to do what you want to do as we reach out to you, Lord God. So get through to us, Lord God, as we do our best to get through to you. God, be glorified as we study Daniel chapter 9 today, we ask in Jesus' name amen. So when we're reading through a vision that the Lord has given to Daniel, or when there's like a, a passage of scripture that really needs to be kind of read all at once to kind of get the full understanding of what we're going to be studying in the day. We'll do that, but then there are chapters like chapter 9 that require us to kind of break it up a little bit, so we're going to break it up. I know a lot of you are like so excited when we read like a whole text, and I love it as well, Um, but just for the sake of clarity so that we can teach through Daniel chapter 9, we're going to read a verse, teach on it, read a verse, teach on it, read a few verses, teach on it, and get through those verses that way. Is that all right? All right, good, good, good. Daniel chapter 9. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahaz- Ahazarius, <laughs> by descent uh, a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. So, as we get into this, we're going to see that Daniel received this vision in the first year of Darius, which means the events of Belshazzar's feast in D- in Daniel 5 occurred between the visions of chapter 8 and chapter 9 last week and This week, so verse two it says, "In the first year of his reign, I Daniel perceived in the books the numbers of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely seventy years." And so, what's what's Daniel talking about? He's referencing a passage. In the Scripture, it's best always to understand Scripture with Scripture. We interpret and understand the Scripture as we read other portions of Scripture. So an interpretation of Scripture must be done through an understanding of of scripture. And so Daniel's referencing a portion in Jeremiah 29. In in this verse that he's referencing, it's a verse that we often will quote for our own lives. And it's true, it's the heart of God for our own lives. But this message is firstly, primarily for the people of God, the Jews. So as we look at Gen- uh, Jeremiah 29 verse 1, Before we read verses 10 through 14, it says, these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So as we study Daniel, we've been studying about the people of God who have been exiled to Babylon. And we're told in this passage that it will be for 70 years. Now, dropping down to Jeremiah 29, verses 10 through 14, it says this, for thus says the Lord. So God is speaking. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, God is telling his people, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. So imagine the people of God have been exiled to a foreign territory, a foreign land for 70 years. This is a very, very long time. Depending on um, how you look at it, there could be as many as three or four different generations within a family in that place. And so if you think about three or four generations some of these people have never known anything but Babylonian captivity their exile they've never been to their motherland to Israel they've never been to Jerusalem they've heard about it from their elders but their whole life has been spent in Babylon in this culture this godless culture and so they're hearing about Israel about Jerusalem in particular and they're longing uh, in some way to be back but for a lot of them it's very unfamiliar it's very foreign like like our grandparents may understand what they're looking forward to but we have no idea really maybe that's like us longing for heaven like we read about heaven and we're excited about heaven and we want to go to heaven but it's hard for us to connect to what that's going to look like. Well, these Jews who have been exiled to Babylon for decades now are having a hard time understanding, fully grasping the blessing that's gonna accompany them when they return to Israel. But during this 70 years, God has not forgotten his promises. During this 70 years, God has not forgotten his people. So maybe you've been in a long season of your in your life, a long season of suffering, disappointment, um, a long season feeling distant from the Lord. God has not forgotten about you, and he's not forgotten about his promises to you. 70 years to the Lord is nothing. To us, it's like most of our life, right? We're like, Lord, would you please finally come through? And the Lord's like, hey, I'm getting there. Give me a day, give me a year, give me a decade. I'm getting there, but he has not forgotten. First, 10, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, says the Lord, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. And then this famous passage, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare or peace, and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me, And come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you, into exile. Isn't that interesting? I will bring you back from the place which I sent you into exile. So what is the Lord telling his people then? And what is the Lord telling his people now? What is he telling us right now? He's saying, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. That's God's desire. That we wouldn't be flippant or passive in our pursuit of him, but that we would seek him with all of our heart. That means every desire of our heart would be for the Lord. He would be first and foremost the priority in our lives. We will break it down. How do we get through to God? We'll break it down, but this is how we get through to God. When we seek him, With all of our hearts, we will get through to God. So back to Daniel chapter nine, Daniel prays for his people. Daniel is seeking the Lord with all of his heart in this prayer. Now, sometimes we pray and it's flippant or half-hearted, Daniel, I have a feeling Daniel doesn't know how to pray like that. (laughs) Daniel's got such a connection with the Lord, he's praying with brokenness and contrition, and the result of his prayer is powerful. Daniel has a proper fear of the Lord and awe of God. And so when he is approaching the living God, the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords, when he's approaching God, he's coming before the Lord with some fear and with trembling, with some anxiety because he knows the greatness of his God. We need to get hold of the fear of the Lord in a fresh way in our lives. When we get hold of the fear of the Lord in a fresh way in our lives, we will pray differently. (laughs) Then we pray currently. We pray currently, maybe with a lack of fear and therefore a lack of power, but when we are fearing the Lord, seeking him with all of our hearts, we will see the results. Daniel said, then I turn my face to the Lord. I turn my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And so he sent time, uh, He gave space to the Lord where he was fasting. So he gave up personal pleasures for his physical body in the form of food, things that we run to for comfort, for satisfaction. He gave these things up so that he may, might be fully focused on the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. He said, listen, Lord, you are more important to me than food. And drink. You are more important to me than anything else, and so I'm giving up those personal comforts so that I might connect with you. And then it says, with fasting in sackcloth and ashes. What is sackcloth? Sackcloth is often like a rough burlap type texture fabric. You know, it's a rough fabric, often made with like coarse black goat skin hair. Uh, So, it's put on to represent a, a, a humility. It's a it's put on, and so they would put on sackcloth and and then sit in a in ashes and put ashes on their head. And this represented humility, um, brokenness, contrition. This was a an outward declaration. God, I'm broken before you. I bring nothing of my own strength to you. I, I bring nothing of, of anything that would be impressive to you, but my brokenness. God, I'm broken and desperate and in need of your help. And so this is Daniel's heart. He approached the Lord with his whole heart, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. He was all in in his prayer before the Lord. As I think about Daniel and his approach before the Lord, I think I think sometimes we have that perspective, maybe if we've sinned and we feel broken and we feel ashamed or, and we feel humbled, and we should. So I, w- I wonder what Daniel did to bring him to this place. without reading too much into it, I don't think that was the case for Daniel. We already know that Daniel would not defile himself with the king's food or the wine that he drank. He was committed in this godless Babylonian culture to stand for the things of God. But there was nothing self-righteous about Daniel like he didn't look at his own efforts toward God and get swelled up by those things he he saw those efforts toward God as the the only proper and right response to the living God that he would not defile himself in the culture he would not allow the culture to Seep into his life and defile him. Daniel was a godly man, but his heart was still broken over his sin and also the sins of the nation. I've seen plenty of self-righteous people who can't bear to confess their sin because boy, they're struggling to think of a sin that they must confess. There's plenty of self-righteous people in the earth. Daniel wasn't a self-righteous person. Daniel was a righteous man in that. When you know someone who's a righteous man or woman, there is plenty of brokenness and contrition. Because though everything looks shiny and good on the outside, we all know that in the darkness of our heart, there are things that we struggle with, fear and doubt in disbelief things that we know don't honor the lord and so daniel was broken and contrite and he repented for his sins and for the sins of the nation daniel showed great humility and with that great integrity and so this is how he prayed verse 4 i prayed to the lord my god and made confession saying oh lord the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We we have not listened. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name, to our king, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. We've sinned. We've done wrong. We've not listened. So verses four through six are verses of confession. It's the most powerful way to come before the Lord, confession. It's bringing before the Lord all of our dirty laundry. We're saying, God, I... I come to you by your grace because you're good and not because I am good. I'm so thankful, God, that you've made a way, that you've opened the door, that you've made it possible for me to have fellowship with you. God, I confess my fear, my, my lack of listening. God, I confess that I'm not living daily like I should be living. Daniel is confessing on behalf of himself and also the nation. So how do we get through to God? Number one, we must begin with confession of sin. Confession of sin immediately puts us in a humble position before the Lord. Maybe it's a, a, an evil thought. We all sin in word, thought, or deed on the regular. Word, I shouldn't have said that. Thought, I shouldn't have thought that. Deed, I shouldn't have done that. Word, thought, or deed. This is why Jesus came to die for our sins, taking the penalty of our sin upon himself, because there was never going to be a day that we would measure up by our own good works to the perfection of the living God. So we must begin with confession of sin. Confession of sin immediately puts us in a humble position before the Lord. We don't need to belabor it, but if there's something we know that we need to confess, you say, Lord, I confess that I had this thought. I confess that I spoke this word. I confess, Lord, that I did this thing that I know was sin and that did not honor you. I confess it. I bring it out into the open and I confess. And the purpose of confession is saying, Lord, I want to be right with you. So God, I don't want to hide this sin. I want to bring it out into the open so that my relationship with you is pure pure. Verse seven, to you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us, open shame. As at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. So Daniel's recognizing the sinfulness of his nation, the sinfulness of his people that caused them to be exiled to Babylon for 70 years. To us, verse 8, O Lord belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. We have rebelled and not, verse 10, and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed. And we can say that about our nation, right? I mean, like, we are just like Israel. We have drifted from our roots as, as a godly nation. We have drifted. And we can no longer be called a godly nation, The United States is no longer marked by godliness. We are no longer sanctified in the way that we live. We used to be. Things have changed. We're just like Israel. All Israel has transgressed your laws and turned aside, verse 11, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against you. We are no longer a godly nation. Israel was no longer a godly nation. So we should be praying these prayers for ourselves and also for our nation. So how do we get through to God number 1 we must begin with confession of sin but beyond beyond confessing our sin number 2 we must take responsibility for our sin and its consequences. We must take responsibility for our sin and its consequences. How many know that there are consequences for sin on a personal level and on a national level? There are consequences. Daniel knew this. He understood this. We need to know this. We need to understand this. Verse 11, again, all Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. What did they do? What was so terrible? What did they do? Jeremiah 44 is what we're going to be looking at next. Jeremiah 44 is titled, Judgment for Idolatry. So for Israel and for the U.S., there will be judgment for our idolatry. Jeremiah 44, 22 and 23 says this, the Lord could no longer bear your evil deeds in the abominations that you committed. Therefore, your land has become a desolation and a waste and a curse without inhabitant as it is this day. It is because you made offerings, and that means to burn incense to idols. They drifted from the Lord their God, and they burned incense to lifeless idols made of wood, stone. Human-made idols that they bowed before and prayed to and burned incense to. It is because you made offerings and because you sinned against the Lord and did not obey the voice of the Lord or walk in his law, and in his statutes, and in his testimonies that this disaster has happened to you as at this day. There's a verse in Proverbs 19, it's not on the screen. It says something like this. People ruin their lives by their own foolishness and that are angry with the Lord. People ruin their lives with their own Foolishness and that are angry with the Lord. We must be a people who take responsibility for our sin and take responsibility for the consequences of our sin. Now, ultimately, the consequences that we're separated from God, but by God's grace, <laughs> because He's good, not because we're good, we are saved from the ultimate consequences of our sin, but immediate consequences for us as individuals, for our families and for this nation can be devastating. People ruin their lives by their own foolishness and then are angry with the Lord. I wonder where we've ruined our own lives with our own foolishness and then have turned and blamed God. I wonder where we need to be broken and contrite, taking responsibility for our own sin and the consequences of those sins in our personal lives, in our families, in our culture, and in the world. Back to Daniel Mayan. He has, verse 12, he has confirmed his words which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like that has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us. Yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord. All of this calamity has come upon us yet we have not humbled ourselves and asked for the mercy of God to fall upon us. All of this Judgment has hit us as a nation, and yet we refuse to entreat the Lord the favor of the Lord. As it is written, verse 13 again, as it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Leviticus 26, 14 through 22 helps us understand what was going on in the, with the nation of Israel. And this is God's judgment. And this is God's warning. It was God's judgment and his warning then, and it's God's judgment and his warning now. To us individually and to us corporately. But if you will not listen to me and will not do all these commandments, if you spurn or reject my statutes, and if your soul abhors my rules so that you will not do all my commandments but break my covenant, then I will do this to you. I will visit you with panic, with wasting disease, and fever that consume the eyes and make the heart ache and you shall sow your seed in vain for your enemies shall eat it i will set my face against you and you shall be struck down before your enemies those who hate you shall rule over you and you shall flee when none pursues you and if In spite of this, you will not listen to me? Then I will discipline you again sevenfold for your sins. What is God trying to do with his people? He's trying to awaken them so they might serve the living God so that temporally and eternally their souls will be saved so they might know God and follow him, so they might have clarity about the confusion that they're living in uh, with their compromises. They're allowing their lives to be polluted by the culture. Then and now we have to be aware of how our lives are being polluted by the culture. We must stand firm and stand strong as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, and I will break the pride of your power. And I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze and your strength shall be spent in vain for your land shall not yield its increase and the trees of the land shall not yield their fruit. Then, if you walk contrary to me and will not listen to me, I will continue striking you sevenfold for your sins. All of this, it's completely unnecessary. God is doing all of this then and now, trying to get our attention so that we might bend our knee, so that we might confess him as Lord of our lives, so that we might stop following the ways of the world and begin wholeheartedly following the plans and purposes of God for our lives, for our church, in our culture, and in our world. But God is willing because of his great love. Jesus in the New Testament, anytime he was coming down hard on the religious, the Pharisees of his day. He was coming down hard on them so that they might repent, so that they might change their mind about the way that they were living. God's desire is that we would experience something of the consequences of our sin, this side of heaven, so that we might turn to him and find grace and forgiveness and be literally born again as new people, as newborn people people of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Then if you walk contrary to me and will not listen to me, I will continue striking you sevenfold for your sins. Verse 22, and I will let loose the wild beasts against you, which shall bereave you of your children and destroy your livestock and make you few in number so that your roads shall be deserted. So how do we get through to God? And maybe the better question, how does God finally, finally get through to us, breaking us free from our lifestyle of destruction? We must begin with confession of sin. We must get honest before the Lord. We must take responsibility for our sin and its consequences. And number three, we must exalt the Lord and honor him for his faithfulness. All the days of my life, God has been pursuing me. Before I knew him, God was pursuing me. When I was deep in my wretchedness and sinfulness, God was pursuing me. That's true for me, and it, I believe it's true for every human being on the planet. God is pursuing you. God is desiring that your eyes will be open, that your heart will be softened, that we might know the living God and find new life in Him, we must exalt the Lord and honor Him for His faithfulness. Instead of getting angry and anxious with the Lord because of all of the calamity that's hitting our lives, but if we, we if we will simply humble ourselves, repenting, confessing our sin, and taking responsibility for the consequences of our sin, and we go before Him, exalting the Lord and honoring Him for His faithfulness, everything will begin to turn around in our lives. That that's true on a personal level. That's true in your family. It may take years, but it will begin to turn around. In your personal life, it may take a long time before you're seeing the kind of fruitfulness that you're longing to see. In your family, it may take years before you begin to see the kind of fruitfulness that you long for to see in your family, in our culture. But we've got to begin somewhere if we're going to see the tide turned. Back to Daniel 9, verse 14. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand. So now Daniel's remembering the mightiness of God to deliver his people. We need to remember the mightiness of God to deliver his people then and now and forevermore. Daniel remembers and have made a name for yourself, at this, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O oh Lord, according to your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because of our sins, and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, Oh our God listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy and for your own sake O oh Lord make your face to shine upon your sanctuary which is desolate What is Daniel praying for he's praying for God's will This is God's will that he would turn his face to bless his people. This is God's desire, but he can never turn his face to bless his people when we're stuck and trapped in rebelliousness and sinfulness and idolatry. He can never, because of his righteousness, he can never turn his face toward us to bless us. And so Daniel's saying, listen, Lord, whatever we gotta do, whatever we need to do in the way of brokenness and contrition and confession and taking responsibility, God, whatever, we want to do that so that your face Will shine upon us, upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. Oh my God, verse 18, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. Oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake. Oh, my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. I wonder, I wonder if Daniel got through to God. <laughs> I wonder if we would actually get through to God if we approached him with such brokenness and contrition, such honesty and such integrity. Maybe you're here today and you're like, man, I just cannot break through. It's like an iron dome above my head. I can't seem to break through to God. I just wanted to declare to you that if you pray the prayer that Daniel prayed to the living God, you will see breakthrough. So we see the heart of Daniel as he prays. And in a moment, we're gonna see the heart of God because Daniel prayed, Verse 20, while I was speaking and praying, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, (laughs) whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. While I was speaking and praying, he said, while I was uttering these words from a broken heart. The man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He he made me understand, speaking with me and saying, oh, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, he said. At the beginning, see, God knows our heart and what we're going to say. He knows the condition and the content of our prayers before we pray them. He knows if we're coming with arrogance or brokenness. He knows. If we're coming with a desire to see him, he knows at the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out. <laughs> like, as soon as you began to speak, God responded, Daniel, the angel Gabriel said. Like, as soon as you came before the Lord with brokenness and contrition, the Lord heard you and he responded. It was true for Daniel, and it's true for you. It's true for me, it's true then, and it's always true. When we come before the Lord with brokenness and contrition, confessing our sin, taking responsibility for our sin and the consequences of, God, of those sin, and then coming before and, and honoring the Lord, giving glory to the Lord for his faithfulness, at the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. That's the heart of God for you and for me. Daniel models for us what it means to pray and, and then how to pray. It's important that we pray according to the models that we see within scripture. Otherwise we might be tempted to pray in our own merits. If we have a lacking of understanding of the holiness of God and the purity of God, we will miss God as we attempt to connect with him in our prayers. But when we pray like Daniel, we'll connect with him. How do you get through to God? Begin with confession of sin, take responsibility for your sin and its consequences, and then exalt the Lord and honor him for his faithfulness. Let's go ahead and stand. And we're going to invite the worship team and and and, and we 're going to worship and we 're going to pray and and I, I hope that we worship and we pray differently as a result of this revelation that we've we 've received from Daniel chapter nine and so lord i I pray God that um, we would God pray differently and, and think about our lives differently, God that we would approach you with fear and trembling, Lord God, that we would recognize our desperate need for you and your great gift that you have given to us through the Atonement for your son dying on the cross for my sins and for our sins. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, give your life to Jesus today. God has made clear his great love for you and his great compassion for you and his great commitment to you. And he wants to turn his face towards you and bless you. But he cannot do that. He will not do that until we, unless we confess our sins. So if you're here today and need to confess your sins, you just do that. And maybe you can't even remember all your sins. I know that I can't remember all of mine, but as we come before the Lord with brokenness saying, Lord, I confess my sin. I confess that in word, thought, or deed, I've rebelled against you. I've been disobedient. Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. And at the beginning, as he begins to hear it, his heart is changed towards you. And his grace is made available to you. And as you make yourself available to God, confessing your sin, desiring to know him and to come into his family, he welcomes you. He loves you. If you're here today and you've been holding on to unconfessed sin, confess your sin. Come before the Lord, confessing that sin so that you might have the blessing and the grace of God, so that he might turn his face toward you and bless you. Lord, help us, I pray. Help us to have a proper and humble fear of the Lord, I pray. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship.